The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast episode. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and we are recording this episode Monday night on December 26, 2022. And I'm joined by the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis, as we wish you a very happy holiday, and I hope it was a happy holiday. I know in the Midwest that the weather got really crazy, and it even got crazier out in the East Coast. But Jim, how was your holiday weekend? Mine was forgettable, because we didn't go anywhere. Our trip to Chicago, we decided to not risk it. Uh, traveling with a one-year-old across central Illinois, just did not know what the, you know, blizzard conditions, power conditions, et cetera, could see a lot of ways where we would get home and say like, or, or like, you know, get stuck somewhere and say, well, why do we think this is worth it? So we ultimately decided not to. So it was quiet, uneventful. Um, actually today, uh, had to go into the curling club because all the power outages here and the rolling blackouts that they had to preserve the grid because the Southeast was under a whole lot of issues with power, uh, kind of wreaked havoc with the curling ice. So I had to go in today and work a few hours to help, uh, restore that because it was a little bit soft, uh, which is not what you want. That's right. You guys in Nashville had the rolling blackouts, but good thing they got that Tennessee Titans game in. Yeah, I mean, the Titans game wasn't the problem. I think the problem was that uh, the lights at Nissan Stadium were on all night, as were the heaters. So you had like pockets of Nashville going dark and then just the uh, stadium with all its stadium lights on. And uh, I think they delayed the game the hour just because the Titans thought like, well, that did look bad, didn't it? <laughs> like that did, like, did look like we didn't care. So let's uh, make a token effort, even though the rolling blackouts are just about over at that time that they decided to uh, delay the game an hour, just I think as a as a gesture to say like, our bad, but yeah. They still lost to Houston yeah, of all teams. Yeah. <laughs> Go Bears. Uh, did you get anything cool over the weekend as far as any gifts? No, not really, because <laughs> the because uh, we had a quiet uh, one here, and just uh, the exchanges did not happen. So yeah, uh, okay, terrific. Well, what about Mini Margulis? Did he get anything fun? 
Oh yeah, he got. Well, we learned uh, a lesson, which is uh, if we know which toy is going to make the most noise, don't give that to him first, mm. because then he just won't care about any other box that he has. So we gave him a remote control of his own, or actually, I think his grandparents gave him a remote because he keeps trying to grab it out of our hands when we are watching TV. And uh, yeah, and he ignored everything else because that was the first one he opened. So next time we know, start with books first because he'll look at it and then toss it aside and go to other boxes but if something stops him dead uh there's no um there, there's no getting him back on track got it got it yeah i uh how are yours yeah the, the holiday was pretty good uh the weather in chicago we didn't get the snow we just got the brutal cold so for all those that had to travel those that have missed flights or they just had their flights canceled i feel really bad for you guys and i'm, I'm hoping that flights do resume here in the next couple of days i know on monday especially at Midway Airport, flights were still being canceled, which was still causing a lot of headaches for those looking to travel this week before New Year's. But we were able to get out and celebrate with uh, what will be my future relatives uh, as far as like cousin-in-laws. And they got little kids and I bought them an RC car, mm. which is a Mario. They're really into Mario and Mario Kart. So I bought a Mario Kart RC car, not knowing that his dad would also buy them a different Mario RC car. So I got to be like a little kid for like an hour just playing with RC cars. Uh, that that was that was a lot of fun. During yeah, that's Christmas. what I'm looking forward to is getting toys that I secretly want to play with. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's. That's this is the fun age that I have discovered being quote unquote Uncle Josh, where all of my friends have kids now that range anywhere from like two to like uh, eight years old right now. So I, I could I could start buying more fun types of gifts that uh, it's more fun to play with, like books and stuff. You know, it's it's fine when when they're really little, but as they get older, then yeah, you really get into like the cooler toys and shopping at target was an experience of just like all the cool toys that they have today compared to what we used to have. Uh, and just the amount of like Legos, for example, has gone really advanced compared to what we used to have for Lego kits. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think you're gonna have a lot of fun as a dad, uh, in the upcoming years, Jim, when you're shopping for mini Margulis, uh, for birthdays and Christmas gifts of like, yes, this is you, this is for you, but secretly this is really for me. But dad, I don't like Nerf guns too bad. <laughs> We're getting Nerf guns. <laughs> yes. Yes. You get the one that shoots two darts at a time. I get the one that shoots 10. I get the gun. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Well, we all hope that you had a wonderful holiday and hopefully you got some awesome Christmas gifts or Hanukkah gifts uh, as those holidays intersected this year. And uh, I didn't get any White Sox gear. As a matter of fact, I didn't give out any White Sox gifts as well. Oh, uh, actually, you did. Holiday. Oh, yeah. I did. Yes, I did. I'm totally sorry. Yes, I did. Yep, uh, yes, Mini Margulis got a uh, White Sox hoodie and I believe a shirt. Uh, so he's he's well equipped for the spring. Yes, yes. Mini Margulis is the only one that I sent White Sox gear. I didn't get Kim any White Sox gear. Nobody was really interested in White Sox gear <laughs> as far as the adults. Like, I get it. I understand. And uh, with some of the anger and frustration leads to our first baseball topic in this podcast episode. And there was an article on Christmas Eve in the Chicago Sun-Times. 
And in that article, it explained that the, or it was reporting that the White Sox may be done with the unofficial signing of Andrew Benatendi. Now we say unofficial because later in the show, we're going to be talking about the craziness that's going on with Carlos Correa as a, another page turns in that soap opera. And maybe Jim, as you alluded to our last episode, maybe we should be a little bit more careful declaring things as official as they are uh, until we get the press release from the Chicago White Sox that Andrew Benatendi has signed on the dotted line and there are no issues with the physical. But right now, everything that we know, the White Sox are moving forward with the Andrew Benatendi signing. We haven't heard anything different. But from, from the Sun-Times reporting, it sounds like once that deal is official, the White Sox spending may be done. The next possible move would be, again, the trading of Liam Hendricks or maybe even Kendall Graveman to address one of the other roster holes at right field or at second base. But at this moment, it's looking like from internal sources from the Chicago White Sox, they may be going with internal options at second base and at right field. I sent out a poll on Twitter for our Twitter followers, which you could follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Asking, how would you feel if the opening day right fielder is Oscar Colas and opening day second baseman is Romy Gonzalez? And the four options were optimistic, content, worried, pessimistic. We had over 1,500 votes, and the most common option was worried at 45%. Second was pessimistic. So another way to look at it, those that would be happy and then hopeful, 24%. Those worried to maybe apathetic on that scale, like 74%. So it's mm -hmm. leaning towards the, I am not really liking this idea. Jim, what are your first impressions of this report? And I, I know that you've mentioned it, that the Andrew Benatendi signing is good if it's not the only move. Mm -hmm. It may be the only move, according to this report from the Sun-Times and free agency. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said that before about moves when the White Sox traded for Todd Frazier and thought like, okay, they need to keep going. And then they, they signed Yasmani Grandal. And it's like, okay, just got to keep going. And like, they just don't keep going. And they always end up stopping short and we always end up having the conversation about just like how, you know, how is their lineup so short? You know, how, how, you know, how are the bottom four spots offering nothing, you know? And so when it comes to this like poll uh, that you had, I liked uh, beef loaf's interpretation of content, which is more along the lines of the serenity prayer saying that like, give me the grace to know like that I can uh, know what I can control and what I can just have to accept and that I can tell a difference. And uh, that's basically how he interpreted content is like shrugging his shoulders and saying, Oh, the white Sox are going to white Sox basically. My interpretation is just like, eh, you know, it's, with Gene Segura still in the market, with Elvis Andres still in the market, trade possibilities abound, as you mentioned, with Hendricks and Grapen and, and who else, depending on, like, say, if it's, like, say, the trade that uh, our Patreon supporter Stryker uh, floated with Tony Kemp and Ramon Laureano. Like, there are guys out there who are available that won't cost the top of the farm system or won't cost, like, serious money. And so, like, I don't, I'm not inclined to take that at face value so far and to say like that they're going to roll with Romy Gonzalez or Lenin Sosa or what have you. 
just a, a vote of confidence in terms of like, well, we we don't have to just because we like these guys. You know, whatever conversation they're having, it's just a way to say in the event that this doesn't work out or in the event we add an outfielder and second base is the weak spot, uh, then we're we're okay with that uh vice versa you know if they had a second baseman leave an outfielder just say like oh you know oscar colas we're fine with him because we think he can make a difference like that's how i'd like to think the white Sox are operating right now by mentioning this or by you know floating this as a possibility of saying like yeah it's uh they're good or they will be good by the end of the season they will have resolved the position and i think that's fine individually my yeah, I, I guess we're. I'm not sure if you're going to ask me like where I fall on that uh, spectrum of answers. I would just say pessimistic, and not necessarily because I'm pessimistic about second base or right field. You know, just about their individual forecast. I'm more pessimistic because, as we saw with Andrew Vaughn being the opening DH, opening day DH in 2021, like that would have been fine maybe had Aloy Jimenez not gotten hurt and been in, you know, and then open left field ultimately worked out. They won the division, but like, you know, Andrew Vaughn, we still don't know exactly how good he can become yet because he's been asked to, uh, you know, do too much and his bat really hasn't turned a corner yet, but just, you know, it's one thing for them to be the, you know, plan a at their positions. It's another thing for like, if more important plan A's elsewhere fail, Will that just compound the issues with solving that problem while leaving other problems that could have been addressed unsolved? I have a problem with the internal options at second base. And that is what is getting stuck in my craw with this report. Specifically looking at like Romy Gonzalez. There's a lot of people that are saying that Romy Gonzalez, if the White Sox go with an internal option at second base to start the year. Mm -hmm. It might be Romy Gonzalez. I am not a fan of that idea. And I know there's a lot of things that Romy Gonzalez went through in 2022. I believe he had some type of oral surgery. Like, a, was it a... Yeah, it is tons tonsillectomy. Yes. And he, he missed a lot of time. He missed a lot of time. He had to spend some time in the complex league. He only played some, like, 33 games in Charlotte before joining the White Sox at the end of the season and helping out when he could at second base for the White Sox. The thing that sticks out to me with Romy Gonzalez looking at the data from 2022 is the struggles that he had against the fastball and you can't have it period. No hitter mm -hmm. can survive in the major leagues having issues against the fastball. So for those that are watching on YouTube, I'm bringing up a chart from Baseball Savant looking at run value. So a positive run value says that this hitter is having success against a particular pitch. A negative value is obviously the opposite. They really struggle. The best fastball hitter against right-handed pitchers for the Chicago White Sox in 2022 was Andrew Vaughn. And that's not a surprise. We know that Andrew Vaughn can hit fastballs really well. Luis Robert hit fastballs pretty well. Aloy Jimenez was above average hitting against fastballs from right-handers. Tim Anderson was right around average at, at zero run value. Romy Gonzalez in his short amount of time was negative one in run value against fastballs. And it's not pretty. He had a 42.7% whiff rate against four seam fastballs. That escalated to 45.5% for 
from a right-handed pitcher. So think about that, Jim. A Romy Gonzalez whiffing against forcing fastballs from right-handed pitchers more than 45% of the time. That is a pretty big concern. So I looked at the heat maps to remind myself maybe the eyes were fooling me when I was watching Romy Gonzalez last year because I knew that he struggled with strikeouts, but I thought that there's some pop in the bat that could be promising to give him an opportunity. And when I look at the heat map, as far as the fastballs and the percentage of where they're going to the strike zone, a lot of opposing pitchers were attacking him up in the zone, up and out of the strike zone, or low and away. And then when I looked at his batting average against these pitches, and the only red square explaining this to the podcast listeners is the low and away. Romy Gonzalez hit fastballs really well when they're low and away. In the strike zone, zero. Romy Gonzalez did not have a base hit against a fastball from a right-handed pitcher that was in the strike zone last year. This is a huge red flag for me. Like, (laughs) if you are trying to tell me or convince me the Chicago White Sox are a World Series contender in 2023, and their game plan right now is trotting out Romy Gonzalez as the opening day second baseman. Man, you are just setting up a revolving door at that position. And mm-hmm. if you're going to go with an internal solution right now, my head is thinking more of Lenin Sosa because Romy Gonzalez did not hit in Charlotte last year. I, I know it's just 33 games for Romy Gonzalez in triple a because again the tonsillitis he he missed significant time in 2022 but at home at home games in charlotte the most hitter friendly ballpark in all of minor league baseball he had 185 of the 308 slugging percentage and he struck out 36 and a half percent of the time away games which is the key split to find out just how good a white Sox triple a hitter is he hit 214 with a 279 on base percentage Slug 375 and struck out almost 30% of the time at 29.5%. Meanwhile, Lenin Sosa got 57 games in at AAA. He had 315 with a 514 slugging percentage and only struck out 14% of the time. And in away games with the Knights, he had 278 with a 426 slugging percentage. He had a 339 on base percentage and he only struck out 20.5% of the time. If you're trying to sell me on the idea, Jim, that there's going to be an internal mm-hmm. second base solution, please, everyone involved, those that listen to us in the Sox Machine podcast, those that are involved in the comment section at Sox Machine, for those that comment on our YouTube videos or follow us on Twitter and engage in conversations, please, if, you are ma- if you're making your mock-up lineups with an internal solution at second base, have Lenin Sosa. Because the Romy Gonzalez, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I cannot buy that. I, I just cannot. Okay, let me try to... You're going to try uh, to sell me. Not try to sell you, but offer a defense. Offer, you know, 
a few points, I guess, in defense of Gonzalez. It's not really in favor because it was a miserable year for him last year, not only with the illness, uh, but also he had some leg injuries as well. So basically, like he wasn't healthy. He was, you know, wasn't healthy, uh, like in terms of he's just a white like, socks. Yeah, basically, like yeah, um, yeah. Jeff Cohen, you know, when his reporting in Charlotte, basically just said like, yeah, he's just been awful. He's been had a miserable year, and so I was counting on him having a lost year, basically just saying like, well, that was a wash. Like here's hoping like it, you know, he didn't lose a very important year like he's about to like enter his physical peak and just you know uh, have that disappear on him so the fact that he got any major league playing time was a victory for him even though it didn't go well it's just it was uh yeah it was good that he was remembered and it was more remembered because like larry garcia was not right in any way shape or form and i think um you know miguel cairo just didn't really want to play him so gonzalez got the the run and if Danny Mendick were healthy, Garcia were functional, like Gonzalez wouldn't have happened, but at least he he got to he got us talking about him, I think is what's important. And so like I'm not going to write off Gonzalez, but to me, him being like an opening day second baseman almost seems like uh fodder in a way, or just like a buffer to not place opening day expectations on Lenin Sosa, whom they might log might might like longer. Uh, or I should say might like in the longer term, but don't want to say like, okay, you have to be good for six months. Like they might want to just have him go back to Charlotte because repeating Birmingham really helped him. Like he finished uh, the 2021 season in Birmingham. He has this tendency to have like a really rocky adjustment period for any new level, like one month. And then like, eventually starts clicking and then by the end of the year the numbers aren't impressive but if you look at like the last three and a half months of that year really good and last year he was able to make a name for himself because he started a, a year in a level that wasn't new to him for the first time and so like he just started you know crushing the ball at birmingham and then yeah he went up to the, the white Sox from birmingham uh might have helped him in charlotte a little bit because he's seen worse or seen tougher when he went down to charlotte also the ballpark helps there but ultimately like he was able to have a nice transition but if they want him to like just be the ultimate or or like when the dust sells at the end of the 2023 season like if if they want sosa to have the most plate appearances maybe they just don't want him to break camp immediately so that they can call him up when they feel like he's clicking and so gonzalez is like the next guy on the roster who can fill that role and maybe they think there's a little bit of upside there because it was such a miserable year for him physically last year to where there just might be a little bit more he can give but yes i you know between those two i like sosa and i've been really uh surprised during the initial prospect ranking season just how little traction sosa's big year got for him like he's been kind of at the, the back end of the top 10 and he was like number 11 on baseball prospectuses list uh fangrass ranked him number five which i thought was more of his neighborhood because like he's doing it like he's doing mm -hmm. he's playing like an up the middle position in the second base he plays second better than shortstop but he can fill in at shortstop if needed but like what do you what do you want from him at that age you know what he showed last year and and uh you know i guess my one concern is that like he has opposite field power or that's kind of his natural power stroke is you know, the right center for home runs and we saw you know where that ends up in uh major league parks uh last year with the baseball so we'll see if that you know still the same thing but that's really my biggest concern about sosa is like if he is not rewarded for opposite field power and he tries to pull the ball more will he get you know will that get back into his like swing heavy mode where he's just like swinging out of his shoes, trying to get around on something. Uh, and, and then that, you know, the, the walk to strikeout uh, uh, divide explodes on him in a way that has exploded on him before. Uh, but 
ultimately, I think I'm more, I'm with you that I'm bullish on him relative to Gonzalez. And I'm just hoping that Gonzalez uh, just miserable year last year for all sorts of reasons. And if those are behind him, maybe he can be like replacement level, which would be fine for buying a month because we've seen far worse than replacement level uh, at that position and you know other positions as well. I can buy the buffer idea. You give Gonzalez the first month of the 2023 season and see where he's at in 30 games. If you're telling me, Josh, Lenin Sos is not going to be on the opening day roster. He's going to go to Charlotte to start the year. The option is either Romy Gonzalez or Lurie Garcia starting at second base. I go with Romy Gonzalez over Lurie Garcia starting at second base. I wouldn't be happy about it, but I, I am buying what you are pitching me here about the buffer idea. And eventually Lenin Sos is going to have the most starts at second base. Again, if the White Sox go with the internal option, and again, Jose Rodriguez is on the 40-man roster. Uh, we'll see on how he bounces back after his Hammond injury to start the 2023 season. We, we just may see, we may see like four guys making starts at second base. And that really raises like, the, the whole problem again, like this reoccurring issue of like, why can't the White Sox figure out this position long-term? And we know mm -hmm. the answer to that. They traded Nick Madrigal away. He was the long-term solution for at least four, five, maybe six years before they got really bold and traded a injured Nick Madrigal to the Chicago Cubs for Craig Kimbrell. That trade's not working out for either side now as Madrigal is going to be a bench player or he's going to go to Iowa and he's going to be playing for the uh, AAA Cubs team uh, to start the 2023 season. And uh, old friend now. You don't think he has the arm for third base? Madrigal. Or the power? Oh gosh. No. <laughs> I, I've, seen, I've seen those arguments of like, what if you move Nico Horner to third? Like, don't get cute. Just you have a really solid up the middle with Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner. Just, just stick with it. Uh, I've even seen one mock-up lineup having Nick Magical at DH. You could do better than that. Uh, Nelson Cruz is still out there. Go sign Nelson Cruz. <laughs> like, don't have Nick Magical as your DH Chicago Cubs. But it just, the White Sox are searching. And again, the whole idea coming into the season is being sold by the general manager, Rick Hahn, that they still believe that they could contend for a World, World Series and I'm just not seeing it if you're opening day second base with Romy Gonzalez. Like that argument really falls flat, especially with just how strong Cleveland's infield is now. Signing Josh mm -hmm. Bell and having Andres Jimenez and Rosario at shortstop and obviously Jose Ramirez at third base. Like that is one of the best infields in all of Major League Baseball, in my opinion, especially defensively for Cleveland. And for the White Sox, it's just like a lot of hope and prayer with their infield and for one of the worst defensive units all of Major League Baseball and with a new manager and a new coaching staff, man, you're just putting a lot on Pedro Grafal's plate in like trying to vastly overhaul the defense and make it, as, make it better than it was last year, which is a very low bar. But also now giving him an option of pick which second baseman that you like best out of camp. What if no one performs well out of camp, you know, then that, mm -hmm. now Pedro Grafal doesn't know what to do at second base and he doesn't know what to tell Tim Anderson, who your double play partner is. 
I, I, I really do not like the internal route uh, of addressing second base, Jim. I, I really do not. It feels like a 2019 idea. It does. Like just the year before contending, uh, you might have some guys who might work. And if none of them pan out, then you try to solve that position next year. Except uh, it's 2022. And this is supposed to be, I, I don't think we can say it's the peak of the contention window anymore, but they're trying to recapture the peak of their contention window and to have two positions uh, up in the air, at least. Um, the other positions I think are sounder, but unless somebody gets hurt, uh, which is why I wish that the White Sox would try to solve these positions in one way or another, just so that, you know, you know we talked about with Michael Conforto before he signed with the uh, Giants, um, but just like having somebody like him knocking Oscar Colas down to AAA so that if somebody gets hurt, Colas is in the glass case, break in case of emergency uh, versus, you know, who's there if Colas is already in the lineup and I don't know, Mark Payton is uh, going to Japan. So, you know, not him, uh, you know, the depth is, uh, you know, not quite there. So it does seem like, you know, if Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa were there in the event, like say they signed Gene Sakura for that uh, position and then, Segura gets hurt or like, you know, Tim Anderson gets hurt. And so somebody has to play shortstop, then that's fine. Then, you know, having Gonzalez or Sosa in the opening day lineup, like, sure, that's bad luck. They're not bad. You know, they're, they're not, you know, bad fallback options. Uh, but as the uh, main options, it just makes the fallbacks a lot further of a drop. Yeah. Cause for all my concerns about second base, I have more hope. For Oscar Colas at right field. Do you feel the same, Jim, mm -hmm. as far as right field? Like comparing the two, which one are we more hopeful for? If, if we split that poll that we had on Twitter from how do you feel about second base and how do you feel about right field? For me, if you're telling me Oscar Colas is the starting right fielder on opening day, mm -hmm. I'm probably content. If you're telling me Romy Gonzalez is the starting second baseman, I'm pessimistic. Uh, so I, I have a lot more hope with Oscar Colas. Do, do you feel the same? Yeah, like individually uh, with Colas, I get it. Like I get why I didn't want to try. I, I think if I could separate uh, my feelings like pre-2023 from this year and all, you know, if you view Colas starting opening day as like a continuation of the White Sox half-ass measures to solve right field, uh, then yeah, it's, it's there's going to be an undercurrent of uh, dissatisfaction with the idea. And, and that's kind of where I'm at. It's just like, it, it, it looks like an okay idea now, but that's because it just, it's a low effort way for you to uh, quote unquote, solve the position. Uh, but you know, with second base there, it's a, uh, it compounds the issue. Like it, it, it compounds the uncertainty by saying, well, what if right field and second base don't work out? So that's why, yeah, I think it would be nice for the White Sox to have like one guy at second base or right field. I think second base is more pressing. I think there are, there are a wider variety of solutions to second base to just have a little bit more certainty in projections. You know, even though projections are, you know, estimates and they don't always work out that way, at least you can defend like a 50th percentile Gene Segura or Elvis Andrews projection or Tony Kemp, what have you. Like, you know what they do year in and year out. Uh, generally have an idea. We have no idea uh, what Gonzalez or Sosa would do in a full year. And there's reason right now to believe it would be on the 
you know, more likely to be on the 20th percentile outcome versus 70 or 80, you know, like the, the, the possibility given the flaws in their game, uh, they're, they're far like more likely to underachieve than overachieve because like, they don't have like the defensive chops to maybe just, you know, buoy the entire position on defense alone. Whereas Colas, you know, upgrade defensively in right field, uh, has the power that should translate, uh, can hit righties was surprisingly good against lefties as a left-handed hitter in the minor leagues. So, uh, yeah, I, I generally think it's an okay idea. Uh, I just wish that the White Sox tried harder in previous years so you could feel better about their talent evaluation in right field versus saying like, eh, he's playable. Yeah. For those that are watching the YouTube version of this podcast, there is a slide up and for our podcast listeners, Oscar Colossa, I brought these numbers up because you wrote about this on Christmas. Eric Loggenhagen of Fangraphs.com released his top White Sox prospects. And one thing that he mentioned that there's a concern that Coloss may be a platoon outfielder. But based on what we saw in 2022, that would be a pretty significant shift based on the results, Jim, because just in double A in Birmingham, Against righties, Colas was really good. 284, 342, slug 561. Man, if he hit like that with the Chicago White Sox in 2023, he might win rookie of the year uh, with 11 home runs against right-handed pitching. Left-handed pitching with Birmingham, 362 batting average. Now, a lot of that was singles, but 362 mm -hmm. with a 422 on base percentage because of such a high batting average and a 569 slugging percentage because he did hit three home runs against left-handed pitching in double A. So I'm with you, Jim, like with that particular scouting report from fan graphs, it, it did catch my attention because the numbers suggest something totally different from what we saw with Oscar Colossa in 2022. And again, based on his performance with Birmingham, I'm more okay with Coloss being the opening day right fielder than I'm with the internal solutions at second base. Yeah, when I when I first saw uh, Coloss, I he was facing a lefty, and so I was disappointed, like, oh, he's not going to get a chance to grip it and rip it. And he ended up having some good at bats, and like, it was more along the lines of like staying closed and like taking the ball to center field and left field. It wasn't like a power stroke, um, but he did control the strike zone okay. Uh, so there, you know it's kind of like Andrew Benintendi in a way, like he clubs righties, but he can stand in there against lefties. He can get on base. He can turn a lineup over. So I think that's kind of the idea along the same lines. It's just, you know, uh, fighting him off, fending him off, uh, not being a pushover. And if there's a mistake, he might be able to crush one. So I think there is that. I think me, you know, maybe if long and Hagen wasn't kind of going, you know, there is a chance when somebody has to cover, every single prospect uh, basically by yourself or, you know, maybe they, he has a little bit of help at fan graphs, but just like when he's doing the entire list by himself. And I think Keith law has a little bit of the same thing going for him is like, you might fall into some assumptions when filling out a profile and say like, Oh, he's lefty. So he might, you know, have a hard time saying, you know, hitting a lefties if you don't, you know, maybe double check it. Uh, so there is that chance. Uh, there's also the possibility that like, you know, if you think his power is going to translate more to the major leagues than his selectivity or like his his very aggressive approach and lack of selectivity. Uh, and you think like, you know, facing left-handed, uh, good, hard left-handed stuff, like, you know, 
to to think of like Chris, there are no Chris sales in the minors. Like if he's facing uh, those types of really hard sliders from lefties, like he's not going to be able to do that approach at the major league level. And, you know, so his power is going to have to come. He's got to do all his production against right-handed pitching. I could maybe buy that a little bit, but I want to see him against left-handed pitching in, uh, in the majors. Like I think he's earned a good long look against them based on what he's done so far. Uh, you know, now it's, if it's a case where like three weeks in the season, he's carrying like a 45% strikeout rate and just like overmatch, uh, in general, then I think, you know, there, there will be a point in favor of Eric Long and Hagen, who was saying like, yeah, just, it's, it's really tough approach to make work, especially when you don't have the platoon, uh, advantage in your favor. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that works out because that was the one thing that jumped out to me the first time I saw him is. Yeah, it's not a bad swing. Like when you watch like Luis Mieses, uh, you know, he has that big uppercut, you know, long levered swing uh, as a lefty. Like you can just see him swinging over the top, a lot of stuff breaking away or, you know, chasing stuff in the dirt, but he was staying closed on it. It wasn't the dynamic contact that he has against righties, but it was, you know, professional, I guess would be the word to say it. Like it did look like he had an idea of what he was doing or knew what he couldn't do. And so he made a more concerted effort to uh, do what he could. Yeah. And we'll, we can have more conversations about Logan Hagen's report about the White Sox. Cause I think there are some valid observations from other scouts when it comes to Colson Montgomery, uh, when it comes to Brian Ramos uh, with Oscar Colas, the other tidbit was there's some questions of, can he drive pitches in the outer half of the strike zone? That's something that will be, paying attention to when we see Oscar Colas join the major leagues, but to come full circle here, yay on Colas being the opening day right fielder, nay on the internal second base options for the White Sox. If this is truly a contending season for the White Sox, I even think like if you're trying to sell people on winning the American league central, you're going to have to do better at second base, whether you're the hope and prayer model that your player development and the new coaching staff can unlock skills in a hurry with some of these guys and they catch fire and you get a little bit of luck on your side and they perform better than usual, or you're right back where you were a couple of years ago in 2021 and you're trading for another second baseman at the deadline. If you're still in contention to win the division. So again, second base is uh, very unresolved for the Chicago white Sox, and we love it to be resolved at some time for the White Sox. But Jim and I are going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to have to talk about Carlos Correa as uh, the page turns again in that soap opera and his attempt to finding a new team after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. And as we mentioned before, sending out to break for a word from our sponsors, the Carlos Correa Soap Opera continues as this is just getting really crazy, Jim, as over the holiday weekend, old friend uh, Dan Hayes of The Athletic uh, teaming up with Ken Rosenthal, reporting that the Mets now have a concern about Correa's physical and specifically what the concern is seems to be the tibia, his right tibia. So the shin bone on his right leg, when he was 19 years old, he broke it and had a plate installed closer to the ankle. And it just sounds like Jim. Now the San Francisco giants who completely backed out of the deal. And now the New York Mets who may not even offer the 12 year deal that we just talked about in a recent episode of this podcast, that it was going down for Correa to play third base that they may not even off like honor the 12 year contract that they thought was offered and accepted by Correa and Scott Boris. And now they may be backing out. What do you make of all this craziness for one of the premium position players, this free agency class? It's uh, I don't know what to make of it, I guess is probably the most honest answer. I know that John Heyman, uh, now of the New York Post, has been saying that you know the deal is probably still salvageable for the Mets. They might have to rework some terms or shift more guaranteed money to incentives or something like that. I know that uh, you know John Heyman does have the reputation of being very close with Scott Boris and like just ends up kind of uh, laundering a lot of rumors uh, you know through him. So it's uh, not necessarily you know I guess. I would rather have somebody else be reporting that to trust it a bit more because um, uh, his reports tend to be, I guess, the most favorable interpretation of events uh, for Boris clients, or they often tend to be. So that's why I, I can't quite trust that. But it almost seems like um, if, if you ever watch Jeopardy and Final Jeopardy when it's like the uh, sometimes it's better to be in second place than first or like finish second just because like in the Final Jeopardy question is tough you don't have to bet that like the person in front has to bet more money uh, to try to stay ahead of you. And you can just bet enough to top their current amount by a dollar uh, because they get it right. You're screwed anyway. But if you, they get it, everybody gets it wrong. You might end up in front uh, no matter what. And that's kind of how I feel like the Mets are in position right now where the giants backed out. 
So if the Mets back out or if they're scared or even if they act scared, they might be able to extract more from Boris than maybe uh, they could at the original point of negotiation. So uh, I know the Twins were, you know, I thought the Twins were in a fascinating position because like if the Mets, and this is my initial interpretation of events was when the Mets struck the deal, like Boris you know, shopped the deal back to the Twins and the Twins didn't budge or they didn't like react in a favorable way. And it kind of led me to believe that the Twins had their bluff called, uh, pretending like, oh, we would give you 10 years and 285 because, of course, that deal isn't going to be accepted. What about 10 for 300? Um, no, <laughs> we can't do that anymore. We've added nobody. Uh, it's, uh, you know, that was my first interpretation of that event. But it turns out that, you know, the, the Twins didn't give them that, uh, I guess, strenuous of a uh, physical because of the short nature of the deal uh, to where like you know, it didn't it didn't flag uh, I guess uh, the way it, it it showed up on the Giants and Mets report so uh, they're not necessarily a convincing uh, third party or like a tiebreaker on the deal like you know Boris might not be able to go to them so with the Giants backing out I think any team might have the ability to say like oh you know that's that 300 million that was guaranteed well what if 220 million is guaranteed and the rest are vesting options of, uh, you know, varying difficulties <laughs> that, you know, make sure that, you know, like in the event of like he, his, you know, leg ends up being six inches shorter than the other one. Uh, they'll have some kind of a uh, way to, uh, you know, not be married to him for 12 years or 13 years. I, I think that's kind of how, what struck me is like, uh, the giants, you know, had to, I guess, go out on a limb and say, we can't do this no matter how bad it looks. Uh, the Mets can say like, well, look at the Giants, they did the same thing. And uh, and also they don't need him. Now, you know, it was just pretty much uh, gross excess by Steve Cohen by signing him in the first place. Like they seem like they have more leverage here to say uh, uh, about that guaranteed money. What if it weren't? And then see what happens. It's Scott Boris though. If you start mm -hmm. playing with guaranteed money, he may just advise Carlos Correa, all right, we're going back to the open market. We're going to have to come up with a new strategy. And I, I think the way that I'm reading into this is that I don't think any team now is going to trust that tibia bone on the right leg to give Correa a 10-plus year contract, Jim. Because asking around, how long does a plate last? And it could last like... 10 to 15 years. It's been 10 years since he's had the plate installed. And if he needs to have the plate replaced, the rehab and the recovery time could be four to six months, which is in a complete off season. So that could be manageable, but what is that strength of that leg going to be? And are there, are, is this where the Mets and the giants have like their, their medical teams have, significant questions regarding this tibia bone and the right leg that we have really like strong concerns and we do not advise more than a 10 year contract. What if Correa and Boris just decide, listen, if the Mets are going to play around with guaranteed money, let's just go back to the open market and let every team know we're willing to sign a three year contract. Like we did last year for $105 million and see who takes the bait. Because if you go that route, I could see the Los Angeles Dodgers mm -hmm. getting involved. I would say the White Sox should get involved. 
I agree with that. Yes. <laughs> it's like, look what it did for the twins, even though the twins didn't um, really capitalize on Correa's presence. But like, it wasn't Correa's fault. He played great. Uh, he was terrific. Uh, they, I think they enjoyed having him. I think the twins fans were excited to have him. Uh, you know, like that's a case where like, if, you know, he somehow comes down and fails in a physical store, like the White Sox can sign him, like go for it. Uh, yeah, it's... It's fascinating. Like it's it's a welcome wrinkle because at this point, and I wrote about this uh, on Monday, saying like, you know, it's weird to go back to like the mid 2010s to where like, oh, the the hot stove season's over by the new year, and it's just kind of uh, uh, leftover free agents, and you have the well, this time you have the international signing period, and that's kind of interesting. Uh, you have the uh, you know, maybe some trades can be worked out, um, but otherwise, like the the main events are all concluded um this has a little bit of like lingering drama which you know if you're just like a baseball fan who uh not necessarily you know only focus on the white Sox, but just like seeing what other teams are doing like this is uh this is popcorn material i think uh, should uh should have fallen through the mets like uh i think the mets have the kind of pockets and the risk tolerance to say uh uh you know maybe pre you know, preserve most of the guaranteed money uh so i guess i would be mildly surprised if he ends up going to the market, but you know, you mentioned the Dodgers and now that the Trevor Bauer uh, suspension issue has been resolved and they know how much to spend, like perhaps they could be floated in as that, you know, yet another pillow contract, which I'd, I imagine was not what uh, Korea had in mind, but I think just with the shortstop market so saturated with excellent options that this probably, you know, the going back to the open market now, after all these other shortstops have found homes, for shortstop needy teams, like he still probably won't get the deal that he had in mind. No, but it could still be $35 million to play shortstop in 2022. Oh, yeah. He, Just, yeah. More than that, if he wants his last, if, if he wants this to be his last big contract or not, I think is the question. Yeah, that That is a valid question, but what do you do if no team's going to make that commitment to you because of this ailment? Like, yeah. don't you have to like go back to the drawing board and just come up with a completely different 10 year plan in which you might have to sign two, three, maybe even four contracts during that time. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, buying a house and looking at a house with like a, it's a 30 year roof and it's on year 27. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, theoretically they don't have to replace it, but, uh, it does become a, a part of negotiation saying like, this is going to be an expense on my ledger in the short few or like a disaster could strike and all of a sudden it's in a weaker spot. So yeah, it's, uh, I can't relate to Carlos Correa or negotiating for services, but I think if I can kind of just, those are terms I understand. Yes. <laughs> or, or negotiating old houses that I can afford. And uh, I, I would be secretly rooting if free agency opens up and let's say we get some news this week that the Mets completely back out and Correa is a free agent again. And if Correa signs with Los Angeles Dodgers, I win the free agent pickup contest. So let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm selfishly rooting for that, but I, I, I doubt that will happen. I'm with you, Jim. I think eventually Boris and the New York Mets figure it out, but it, it is, it is fascinating. Now you've had two teams that have had big questions about the physical for Carlos Correa and what was a slam dunk free agency or free agent contract from the giants. Wasn't the Mets swooping in all those in San Francisco, getting very angry uh, that Correa is not part of the giants. And now it's the Mets starting to balk uh, at the idea of signing Carlos Correa. 
It is fascinating to me, though, that the Giants balking at Carlos Correa, but signing Michael Conforto and Mitch Haneker, the irony has not been lost on me uh, that they're mm-hmm. okay with those contracts because they're two years, but 13 years for Correa is just a, a bridge too far. Yeah, here's hoping that Andrew Benintendi is just, uh, you know, maybe he's on a Southwest flight that uh, is, is no longer exists or uh, maybe just waiting out the holidays. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping that that's just more a matter of timing uh, to get his deal done versus like something coming up in the physical because the outfield market is pretty much spoken for yeah. with Conforto being in San Francisco. Like that gets a lot tougher to find that adequate outfielder for left field or right field. I don't even want to have the internal left field discussion. So let's not have that happen. I am hoping that Andrew Benintendi's physical is great. And we get that signing official and we hear from Rick Hahn later this week. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Again, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to this episode. For those... For the podcast, we've been uploading and cutting video highlights to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash machine. And we're getting close, Jim. Last I checked, we're at 895 subscribers. Again, the milestone is 1,000 where we get some additional options opened up for our YouTube channel. So for all those that have recently subscribed to the YouTube channel, thank you so much for doing so. For those that haven't yet and you do watch videos on YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. The audio version of the podcast is uploaded into the podcast feed and you can subscribe to the socks machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple music. And again, you can follow us on Twitter as long as Twitter exists at socks machine. You can follow me on Twitter at socks machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy your work and you would like more, you can sign up to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socks machine where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content they get ad free versions of both the podcast and the website and when we have new socks machine swag that's uploaded into our new socks machine store they're the first ones to receive it monthly plans start at two dollars you can save with an annual subscription great timing here with new year's coming up you can take care of all of 2023 season with the patreon subscription again you can sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine the Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all of Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.